So our scripture reading this morning is again from Ephesians chapter 4. We've been going through this uh, section of scripture for a number of weeks together, uh, and we're back at it. We're going to focus on chapter, on verse 29 of Ephesians chapter 4, but we're going to read verses 25 down through 32. You can find that in the bulletin. Obviously, you can open your own Bibles or uh, your Bible app to get access to it as well. Let's hear the Word of God together. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each uh, one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So, uh, we've been as I mentioned, working our way through this passage together, and uh, we've been thinking through this theme that Paul uses to describe what it means to become more and more like Jesus, what it means to grow in our Christian faith and our Christian walk. He uses this metaphor of putting off and putting on, and he says that when you become a follower of Jesus, You're supposed to put off your old self. What does that mean, your old self? It means your old way of doing things. It means your old way of thinking about life. It means your old way of being in the world. We all have a default way, almost like an instinctual kind of responsive way of facing life and facing the world. And what Paul says is, is when you become a Christian, you have to start putting off those old instincts and start developing these new, new instincts. He says in, in Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And so he says in Ephesians 4 here, he's saying, live that way. Live like that new creation you are. And we've been exploring what that looks like in all kinds of areas. We've looked at, at um, with respect to telling the truth over be a falsehood. We looked at um, the issue of anger and what to do with it and our emotions. We've looked at, uh, what did we look at last time? Um, work, what it means to work as a Christian. What's a new way of understanding the purpose of work and the meaning of work, etc. Today, we're talking about words. We're talking about verse 29, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may grace to those who hear. Now, this is, this is a solemn, solemn subject for someone like me who basically makes his living talk, on a talking. And so you're going to find this sobering as well. Um, Jesus says that, think about how many words you spit out in the course of a lifetime. I can't imagine how many words we spit out in the course of a lifetime. And every idle word 
Jesus says, we will have to give an account of that. Why? Why? Why are words so important? And the answer is because words are incredibly powerful. They have the power, they actually have the power to heal. And they have the power to kill. They actually have the power to heal. You know, studies have been done where you take, uh, let's say, uh, 100 people in hospital, and 50 of those people, the doctors come through and they say, hey, you look good today, patient zero. Um, you know, you, your color looks good or something like that. Or they walk into, a, and I, it's got to suck to be on this side of this, uh, this experiment, but anyhow, they walk in and they say, oh, you look kind of peaked this morning. Hmm, you okay? Just, just by how they, the doctors speak to patients, they discover they have a tremendous effect on the patient's well-being and ability to recover from, uh, from their condition. They have the power to heal, but of course they have the power to kill too. You know, whoever came up with sticks and stones may bake my bones, but names will never hurt me, was, a, in our house, we'd call them a dingle-donk. That's the dumbest thing ever. Sticks and stones may break my bones and names will ever hurt me. I apologize to all the children, or actually all of us were children at one point. I apologize to all of us who had to hear that as kids growing up because it's absolutely not true. It should be sticks and stones may break my bones, but names could break my very soul. Words have a power in them. They are mysterious things in a sense because of that power. Now, we're going to look at this verse, 29, together. We're going to zero in on this verse, and it breaks down very, very nicely for us. There's, there's four points that come from the four phrases. And so we're going to look at what we're supposed to put off with respect to words, what we're supposed to put on, how we're supposed to use words, and what's the intention behind the use of our words. Those are the four things. Uh, they're not written in your sermon outline, but there's lots of space if you want to write them down. Uh, to, and follow along. So here we go. Let's go through this text together. First of all, what are we supposed to put off? Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. So what we're supposed to put off is this thing called corrupting talk. Now, it's, it's an interesting word that Paul uses to describe these, these, this language when he uses this, this word corrupting because... Um, it's actually a word that is not, very, not used very often in the New Testament at all. Jesus uses it to describe rotting fruit or rotting fish. And so what Paul is saying is, is that we should not use words that, or rot, that are rotten or that can rot. You know how, uh, you know how if you, get, like you have, buy a bag of apples or you buy a bag of pears and you have one apple or one pear that is rotten or rotting and as soon as it touches another one the rot begins to spread and it goes through all the other apples or pears in the bag paul is saying that that words do that there are words that when you use them they start to corrupt they start to degrade they start to tear down they start to contaminate they start to spoil they start to spread through whatever it is they touch, so to speak, and they ultimately can destroy the thing that they touch unless they're, they're dealt with properly. And the, the thing is, like rot in a fruit, which makes 
great sense why Paul uses this word. They do it from the inside out, right? And then you go, and then you look and you go, it's all disgusting on the inside because somehow, I don't know how this works, I should, because I did grow up on a fruit farm, learned very little apparently, but uh, the rot got in and then it started to spread from the inside out. So it looks fine on the outside, but there's all kinds of stuff happening on the inside and and not until it's too late in a sense not until the damage has been done do you actually notice it because you see words have the same effect words penetrate okay words go deep into us this is a bit of a dated illustration i admit but for those of us who were around during Star Wars, the Star Wars movies, and I mean the real Star Wars movies, okay? The first three, he fires his photon beam at the Death Star, and what does it do? It goes into this air duct and down all the way into the core of the Death Star, and then he flies away, and then the Death Star explodes, right? Because the photon beam got inside of it. Words get inside of us. Now, they don't necessarily blow us up immediately when they get inside of us, but they, they get inside of us and they corrupt over time. When you tell a child they're stupid, those words don't just bounce off them. They go into them and they take root and they grow very slowly, but over time, they affect that child, and they, they make that child feel like they are stupid. It becomes what they call a self-fulfilling prophecy. When a spouse is told time and time again that they're failing, they're not stepping up as a parent, or they're not stepping up as a husband or a wife or something like that, those words go deep inside of them, and they begin to shape their self the, the self-perception that they have and they begin to have an effect on them. It rots them from the inside. An employee that's told that they're lazy is going to start believing that about themselves and start living out of that. It corrupts slowly, but it corrupts from the inside. Paul says, don't use that kind of language. You don't realize, you think you've got to do this a little bit more, but I'll hit you hit you with it for a minute. You think you're just goofing around, especially young men, teenage boys and young men. You think you're just goofing around, but you have no idea, actually, the effect that you're having on your friends when you make little jokes here and there, and, and you say, wow, I didn't mean it. I was only kidding. It's, it's, like, it's like Luke's photon beam. It's going deep inside, and it's causing maybe maybe only little explosions, but enough little explosions from the inside causes the center, the inside, to become unstable, and that begins to work its way out into into how we behave in the world. Paul says we're supposed to use language. What does he say? He says, only such is good for building up. Now, here's the implication. We're going to talk about building up in a minute. But the implication is, is that the words we're supposed to use are building up language, not corrupting language. Well, when, then what is corrupting language? Corrupting language is tearing down language. That's the motive behind corrupting words. It's to tear down. We've been saying over and over and over again, behind all the negative behavior and attitude and... Um, and, and actions that we've seen these last weeks 
it's always rooted in some kind of selfishness, right? It's always rooted in some kind of looking out for number one, bettering yourself at the expense of another. The same is true with our language. And again, think of, and I, you know, men do this too, but I remember very, very clearly when I was a teenage guy, the only way that teenage guys seem able to communicate for a particular period of time, I don't know how many years it lasts, but mocking each other, taunting each other, ridiculing each other. And of course, it's always couched in the language of, I'm just kidding. We're just joking around. We're just, we're just needling each other. But it, it, you don't have it prob- Well, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, just a little further in chapter 5, verse 4, Paul says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Um, behind very often that kind of needling, teasing, mocking, taunting, ridiculing is actually tremendous insecurity. Tremendous insecurity. And the needling, the mocking, it's, it's, it's done actually to get a leg up. It's done not just because it's fun, but because you are trying to better yourself at the expense of another. It's trying to, to climb a little higher up the ladder by stepping on the guy underneath you. And you know, adults, they're much better at it. They're much more subtle. But they do the same thing. What do you think gossip is? What is gossip? Gossip is a bad report, even if it's a true report, It's not necessarily false. It's a bad report meant to make someone look bad. That's essentially what gossip is. And we do it for the purpose of making ourselves in in contrast to look good. So that's the first implication is that that it's rooted in this self-centeredness that is meant to tear others down in order to improve us. And then just a, a, a warning, I can't go into too deeply into this, but a warning. Corrupt language does not just corrupt the hearer, it corrupts the speaker too. I'll say that again. Corrupt language does not just corrupt the hearer, it corrupts the speaker as well. When See, one of the things that words do and why they're so incredibly powerful is because words give expression. They clothe our emotions and our thoughts. They reveal who we are and they they give expression to who we are. But in giving expression to who we are, they don't just go out to the hearers, they come back to us and we hear them ourselves and they, they don't just shape the person, bursts out to their parents, I hate you. And at first... They, they, they are expressing their frustration and their anger and they're, they're saying, I hate you, which may not even be an entirely accurate expression, but as they get it out and they hear it, those words begin to shape their, fe- their feelings and they start to think, you know what, I do hate them. And that's just one very, very simple example. Words don't just have power over hearers, they have power over speakers, which is one of the reasons why we have to be so careful with our words. We can talk more about that later if you want, uh, offline as they say, but we got to move on. So 
Paul says what we've got to put off is this corrupting talk, this kind of language that tears down, that rots, that degrades, that spoils and contaminates. And what does he say? We have to put on language that doesn't tear down, but that builds up. This is language that is affirming. This is language that is encouraging. This is language that buoys people. Okay? Um, here's the question to ask yourself. Can people, do people ever go home after being in conversation with you, let's say, and they can, they can in a sense, live off the words that you've spoken. They, they feel a little lighter on their feet. They feel buoyed up. It's, it's, like, it's like you're a, what are those things that you throw people, life, life preserver. They grab onto your words and it, and it pulls them up and they feel their, their heads over water, so to speak. Do you know people like that? Do you get what I'm getting at? I know people like that. Some of you are people like that. When I talk to you, the conversation that I have with you after church, let's say, the, the kindness, the sweetness, the, the compliments, they're, they're empowering. And I go out and I think, okay, I, I, I feel better just having been in their presence. And they don't even have to be necessarily deep, profound words like, oh, man, I really, you know, I was thinking about this and I thought of that. You said that and it made me think of this. And I go, oh, man, that's just profound. I I had said that in the sermon. Sometimes it's just like, hey, you know, I like that you smile. I don't know. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll get, it'll make more sense in a minute. Give me time, okay? Um, your words have, if, if it's helpful for building others up, it means that these are words, if you think of the, the metaphor, these are words where you see a person in some aspect of their life Perhaps they are corroding. Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in their career. Maybe, it's, maybe they're struggling with dealing with their kids. Maybe they're single and they're really, really longing to be in a relationship. Maybe they're not getting anywhere in their job the way they hoped they would. And you come alongside and you understand that about them and you say something that shores them up, that strengthens them, that enables them. Now, that doesn't mean that, that the only thing you ever say is always positive, okay? Paul is not saying here that the only thing that, that you ever say that builds other people's up has to be positive because he says, he says, uh, say what is good, right? Such as is good for building up. Uh, other translations, like the NIV translation, actually uses this phrase, according to their needs. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. So what is good is what they need. And at times, frankly, people need correction. Sometimes people need hard truth. Sometimes people need even, like, scolding. But when it's done right, it still builds up. It's still for their benefit, as Paul says. Or as the ESV says in, in our translation, gives them grace. And again, we'll talk more on that in a minute, but, but grace, what does grace mean? It means undeserved. If it's them that they didn't deserve to hear because we don't ever deserve grace, but we receive it because you have chosen to offer it in grace. I'll give you a very powerful personal illustration. It's really good that she's not here. Uh, well, she's here. She's in the building. She's in Grace Kids. So one time, Jess and I were having a, having a, a fight, an argument. I still remember this like it was yesterday because it was a very, it had a really profound effect on me. Uh, so, in most of our disagreements, I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, and, and I, you know, I, every guy says that and we chuckle when I say that, but I'm not kidding. Like, looking back, 
It's like 80-20. It's, pretty, it's a pretty bad, it's a pretty bad uh, ratio. Thank you. But this time I was right. And that's a rare occasion for me. Okay, so I was right. And I know the human heart because I've got one. And what I did was, what I did, what most of us like to do, is I relished in being right. And so I was a little bit standoffish, holier than thou, pompous maybe, about being right, as, as she was trying to reconcile with me and work through it. And out of exasperation, she looks at me and she said, could you please extend me a little bit of the grace that you preach about every week? And it was like a knife. <laughs> okay? You know, Proverbs 25 or something. But she snapped me in two. It crushed me. But it was exactly what I needed to hear, you see? But it is still grace because it is meant to ultimately build that person up. Now, what that means then, if this is the call, if we're not supposed to tear others down, but we're supposed to build others up, it means that we must be radically what? Not self-centered, but other-centered, right? To fulfill what Paul is saying in verse 29, it's not enough to just stop swearing and start talking clean and using clean language. We actually have to start thinking about people. We have to start taking an interest in them, the people in our lives. Because if you're going to say things to another person in order to build them up, you need to know things about them. You need to, you need to be reflective. You need to be intentional. You need to be deliberate about your interactions with that other people. In other words, you actually have to have other people on your mind, not just yourself. You understand? Because it takes intention. It takes intention to speak words that build another up. Haven't, have you ever had this? Someone comes up to you, and maybe they don't even know you that well, but they know you a little bit, and they come up to you and they say, hey, how you doing? Listen, I remember a couple weeks ago we were talking after church, let's say, and you said that this and this problem was, was happening in your life. And I was, just, I was just thinking about that. I was wondering, how's it going? And, you know, as I was thinking about it, I, I just... I just I just thought of this, and I, I just wanted to share it with you. Had, have you ever had that? And you walk away, and you think, wow, they care? They remembered? Wow. I'm just astounded, because all of a sudden, I realize that I'm, I'm known to some degree by someone, and that I matter, you see? That's what, that's what builds others up, Okay? This is, look, this is an over-the-top ethic. This is utterly out of this world because there is no other ethic that I know of. There is no other way of thinking about how we use our words in the world, whether it's from a secular perspective or another, per, uh, another religious perspective, an ethic that demands that we put others first the way the Christian ethic does. And we talk so much. All day long, most of us are talking. 
And Paul is saying you have to do it all for the sake of building others up. Okay, third point, how do we do that? How do we use our words? How do we build them up? Paul for building up as fits the occasion. Well, what does that mean? That means we've got to be thoughtful about how we speak, right? We've got to be thoughtful about how we speak. Proverbs, of course, is the place to go to uh, to learn about the power of speech and the purpose of speech. Proverbs 10, verse 32 says, lips of the, God, the lips of the godly speak helpful words. I love Proverbs 25, verse 11, that says, words aptly, aptly chosen, A-P-T-L-Y, words aptly chosen are like apples of gold in settings of silver. They are an artistically beautiful thing to behold aptly chosen words. In other words, we have to learn to say the right thing in the right way. So you've got to know the context, right? You rejoice with those who rejoice, and you mourn with those who mourn. You don't rejoice in the presence of the mourning. And you don't mourn in the presence of the rejoicing. You have to discern, where am I supposed to be direct? Where am I supposed to be indirect? Some of you are very indirect people, and frankly, you need to learn to uh, occasionally speak straightforward truth into a situation. And there's all kinds of fears and all kinds of anxieties that are, that are, are the roots behind those things. Direct. We have to learn that being very direct in all circumstances is not wisdom. Sometimes you need to shut up and not say anything at all. Or sometimes you need to be very indirect. And that does not make you wishy-washy, which is what direct people like me like to say about the indirect. Ah, you're just wishy-washy. No, it does not necessarily make you wishy-washy. It makes you sensitive. What's wrong with being sensitive? Nothing. So you have to do the hard work, okay? You've got to do the hard work of figuring out the wording that best fits the occasion, that best fits the situation. And, you know, I'll just throw this out for you to chew on if you want in your engaged groups. I just thought of it now. The closer you are to the person you're speaking to, the harder it gets. Right? Pastors know this better than anyone because, you know, I say this to you and then maybe you have a problem and you come sit down with me and I seem so understanding. And then I go home. And I talk to Jessica and I'm not thinking at all about what I'm saying. For some reason, we, we, it's harder for us in the presence of those that we are closest to and love the most to practice this, but it's who do you spend most of your time talking to? So where do you need to work the hardest at it? Right there in those relationships, right? Now, let me just pause very quickly and say this is, by the way, here's how incredibly radical this is. Think about when you have been hurt. And I don't mean just sort of slighted, but I'm talking hurt, like somebody betrayed you, let's say, with their words, with their actions, and they have hurt you very, very deeply, and you feel utterly, utterly devastated. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? You want to give them a piece of your mind, right? You want to pay them back. Payback. You know what payback is? You see, when you've been hurt, it's like solicited withdrawal. And now, when you want payback, you want to, 
you want to put that deposit in there so that you're back to the level you should be at. So that's your natural response, right? So when your kid says, I hate you, you know, as a parent, sometimes you want to kind of roll your eyes and go, yeah, well, I hate you too. <laughs> right? Which is not good. <laughs> just in case you were wondering, hmm, is this parenting advice? No. You just want to, you want to save face. You want to, you want to protect yourself right? Because it is so hurtful and so painful. And Paul says, even in those circumstances, even in those circumstances where you've been hurt so deeply by someone else, he says, you are only to use language that builds others up. That gives grace to them. Their welfare is supposed to be at the forefront of your mind. Now, come on, that's crazy. How can the Bible demand that? That's over the top. That's unrealistic. Ah, yes, it is. Yes, it is. But what's the intent? Point number four. That it may give grace to those who listen. Or grace to those who hear, sorry. Here we go. Grace. Grace. Unmerited favor, right? undeserved favor. Grace is the word that expresses in one word the gospel, the good news. God extended grace to you and me, right? There's a place in John where John says that, that from Christ's fullness, we all received grace upon grace. Because you see, Jesus, the, the Son of God, He comes into the world, okay? He comes into the world and He lives among He never said a corrupting word. He, in fact, offered us the word of salvation. He said, I have come to give you life and life abundantly, and the way I've come to do it is to die in your place. And the amazing thing is, is that when He went to the cross and when He hung there with arms wide open and we were mocking Him, we were still using our words to hurt and to destroy and to make ourselves feel better because we didn't want to sit under his lordship and his kingship. We still wanted to be kings of our own worlds and of our own lives. And so while he hung there, we went, ha, 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 ha. He says he's the son of God. Let's God come and save him now. He said he is the king of the Jews. Who's he ruling over now? And we made all this fun of him. And then he finally cried out and he needed a word to build him up. And he cried out to his heavenly father. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Answer me, speak to me. And what he got was silent treatment. Nothing. The one who just months before heard his father say, this is my son whom I love at his baptism now cries out in need for a word because he was sinking under the weight of God's judgment on our sin and he cried out and he got nothing. The, the silent treatment that you and I deserved. He got it. So that the very word that you and I need, the word self-centered person, I know that you are a greedy person. I know that you are a prideful person. I know that you're an impatient person. I know that this is what you are. I know that. But to me, in my eyes, in my sight, you are 
beloved. You are cherished. You are loved. You are delighted in. I don't see that in you. I don't see the pridefulness, the greediness, the gossipiness, the lustfulness. I don't see that. You've got to see me, see yourself the way I see you. I don't see that. The word of God to you sink in for a minute. He says, I don't care what your boss says about you. I don't care what your roommates say about you. Frankly, I don't care what you say about you. I delight in you. Would you let those words sink into your heart? What would happen to us if we actually let those words explode in our hearts? What would it do to our anxiety? What would it do to our depression? What would it do to our insecurity? What would it do if we sucked on and savored the incredible word of God to us? You are my beloved child. Well, what it would do is it would enable us to fulfill what Paul is telling us to do in this verse. What does he say? He says, be an agent of grace. Use words that build others up, that it may give grace to those who listen. That's what he says. You and I are given the grand privilege then to be agents of grace, communicators of grace. Our words can impart life, can offer hope, can build others up. We can have a real effect, a real effect on our world simply by how we use our words. I was going to go on and talk a little bit about verse 30, but we're going to stop there, friends. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Let's pray. Father, may we be people who give grace to those who we speak to. Sometimes we do have to speak directly, and sometimes we do have to speak words of correction, but the vast majority of the time, all we need to do is speak words of encouragement and love and affirmation. Give us a sense of the power of our words and then give us tongues that speak your word of hope into the lives of those we love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.